Welcome to the GVA Way podcast, where we discuss Great Valley Academy's uniquely developmental approach to student learning. In this particular episode, GVA founder Dr. Eldon Rosenau shares his personal journey from struggling student to successful optometrist, and you'll learn how that journey ultimately led to the opening of Great Valley Academy. Finally, Dr. Rosenau will give you an overview of the innovative approach GVA has developed to help students become more effective learners. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello, everybody. My name is Russ Howell, proud principal of GVA Salida, and I am joined today by founder Dr. Eldon Rosenau. And today we get to learn more about his experience and his path that led him to opening these schools and continue to work with now three, two site-based campuses and a homeschool campus. And here specifically about the, the innovative elements of GVA around developmental education and intervention and um, learn more about uh, that unique aspect of GVA. Welcome, Dr. Rosenau. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Russ. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So, Doc, if you don't mind, just take us back to the beginning and tell us the story of how you um, pursued the career that you have and how it ultimately led to the opening of the GVA campuses. Okay. Um and I didn't, you know, like anything in life, it sort of evolves and you don't, you don't really see the direction until you get there and you kind of look back and you go, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my school history was not good. Um, grade school, you know, I was always well behaved, or at least that's what my report card said. Um, but I had trouble learning. And by fourth grade, I still wasn't reading, and so everybody's concerned. Uh, School psychologists come, they do all sorts of testing, and um, the suggestion was to hold me back in fourth grade. It was a little traumatic, because at that point, I had the, the wherewithal to see all my classmates move ahead, and I was still stuck in fourth grade. Um... It didn't help. <laughs> I still struggled with reading. Um, and I liked school. It's just I wasn't very successful at it. Uh, so anyhow, time goes on and um, struggle, struggle, struggle. Um, I loved working on cars. Uh, still love working on cars. So I was going to go into auto mechanics. Um, I loved more you know, foreign cars and I was going to do it a little differently. But my father was a college graduate. He really didn't think that was my path. And so I didn't appreciate it at the time, but uh, he uh, talked me into going to MJC. One semester at MJC, Modesto Junior College, and I'm on academic probation. Um, and so I thought, okay, back to auto mechanics. Um, but my father was pretty persistent. I didn't appreciate it at the time, again, but... um, So, basically, bought me into this private Christian school in Oregon. And so I went off to school. And the school was associated with a school of optometry. And um, there were, you know, 7,000 kids in the school. So the optometry school was obviously looking for patients. I'd been nearsighted since I was seven years old. So I thought, I don't need my eyes checked. Uh, but they said, no, yeah, we'll, 
we'll get you in and just see what's happening. And so, but they did all sorts of other testing, uh, perceptual testing, tracking skills, visual imagery, all that kind of stuff. And they said, oh my gosh, you don't have any skills for <laughs> being able to learn to uh, uh, read or just learn in school. Um, and so that first year, I was in a lot of remedial education classes and a, a training program to teach me the skills that I didn't develop on my own. And a year later, it was like somebody flipped a light switch on. It was school got easier. Uh, I got more kind of excited about it. So I uh, was on Dean's List the year after I had gone through this training program. And I go, whoa. Because <laughs> it's it didn't have to deal with my brain. Mm-hmm. It had to deal with the input systems to my brain. It wasn't about your intelligence. No, which is kind of a, a, a fooler because most kids that struggle in school, they think they're just not smart. Not correct. Mm-hmm. They are smart. It's just they may have input problems that make it look like they're not smart. Mm. So then uh, being on Dean's List sort of jazzed me up because... I, I knew I could do this stuff. So I uh, continued on in school and then got a, a degree in psychology. Um, and at that time, uh, this was you know late 70s, or, no, uh, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, there were a lot of strange things happening <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and, and most of the kids in psychology were really different. So I thought, okay. But then... I started talking to the uh, faculty at the optometry school, and there was an area of optometry that specialized in this whole thing of visual perception and um, eye-teaming, focusing kinds of skills. And so I applied to the optometry school and got in. Hmm. Um, So in that uh, four years in the optometry school, I really focused on that area that dealt with how we use our our vision to understand the world around us. So I graduated, came back to Modesto where I grew up, and uh, started practice, but always had this focus on kids that had learning problems um, and kept working at it and working at it. The, The trouble is the programs weren't cheap. Mm-hmm. And it was like orthodontia. Um, and a lot of parents just couldn't afford that. Sure, if you were in you know, Los Angeles or San Francisco, no problem. But here in the Valley, you know, people just didn't have that kind of money. So <clears throat> I always looked at how do you become the Burger King of this kind of, how do you provide this care for more, more kids? At the same time, uh, a colleague of mine in Michigan, um, a Dr. Ingersoll, uh, had taken advantage of this new thing called charter schools. Hmm. And he'd started a charter school in northern Michigan. And he kept bugging me to go back and see this charter school. Um, so eventually I did. And it was like, oh my gosh, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I got the, whatever it was. It, it was the thing that I needed to do. So I came back here, and 
uh, Tom Chignon had just been elected superintendent of county schools for Stanislaus County. And so I started talking to him, and he sort of got jazzed about this whole thing of a, a new approach to how kids learn and how we can improve school outcomes. And so we both went back to Michigan <laughs> um, to see Dr. Ingersoll and um, Kay Metley, who was the principal of the school, and he got jazzed on this whole thing. He didn't want to come back. He thought he'd found the Shangri-La. He called it the Shangri-La of public schools. And so um, he said, you need to start a, a charter. And he gave me a list of attorneys and accountants and <laughs> all the people that I needed to get um, help from in developing this charter. And we did. Um, the problem was in California... Um, charter schools are chartered by local school districts. Um, and so you are Target and you're going to Walmart to ask for permission to set up a store right next to them. Um, they're not likely to say, oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> right, right. So it was a bit of a struggle, more than with the laws in Michigan. But eventually um, got all the kind of the political ducks in a row, and um, on an appeal to the Stanislaus County Office of Education, they approved Great Valley Academy. Um, and it was pretty exciting. And to try and bring this concept of, of visual neuroscience and education together to help kids learn so that they didn't have a history like mine. Um, and it took a while, and it took a lot of perfecting, and so um, things started to roll along, and then I got really anxious to spread this out and start another school. That's when we hired you, <laughs> <laughs> and we started the school in Manteca, um, and it worked out well uh, until we decided to um, not lease in Manteca anymore, and we moved the school to Salida. But um, it has every year gotten better and better in how to integrate the neurology of, of how people learn to education itself, because teachers don't even know that they change brains every day and how they change those brains. Um, and so... Getting back to my car analogy, I, I sort of looked at teachers teaching kids like a mechanic trying to rebuild an engine, but he doesn't know what the in, inside of an engine mm. looks like. Uh, and so now teachers are becoming diagnosticians of behavior patterns and academic, um, you know, struggles. So uh, at this point, now when they see that in the classroom... It triggers all sorts of in-class kinds of interventions. And then it triggers, you know, let Dr. Rose now take a look at him and see if there's anything that he can find that might be causing this thing. Because uh, sort of the hallmark that it's a, not a brain issue but an input issue, if the kid, you know, tries to learn on his own, because most of the learning comes through your visual system, and he struggles, but if you can read it to him, and all of a sudden he gets it, now nah, it's not a brain problem. It's, a, it's an input problem. So 
So in that, in that sense, um, Great Valley Academy is probably one of the most unique schools in the country. And there are other schools that try and bring neuroscience and education together. And in fact, there's a now a, a college degree teaching kids neuroeducation. Um, and so it's all starting to roll, but uh, it was kind of nice being at the the forefront of that movement. Well, you know, the charter school movement started back in 1992, at least within California. Right. And a lot of times, the first thing people associate with the charter school movement is school choice. That my kid doesn't have to go to a school based on my address, but I have other options to consider. And that's obviously a significant opportunity and development of the charter school movement. But the other part of the charter school movement was about educational innovation. It was about recognizing that we weren't accomplishing as, as, as a country, as a society, what we wanted to educationally and becoming more and more discontent with the results for students. And so charter schools were birthed really to be that lab, to be the people that are willing to challenge traditional paradigms, to, to, to take the risk associated with um, innovation to see if we can improve on it. And in this program, your GVS program, which I'll have you unpack in a moment, is really an expression of our of GVA's commitment to that idea that mm-hmm. it's not just about offering an alternative. It's not just about offering competition. It's about offering an opportunity to improve education, not just for our students, but hopefully influence improvements and change across the state, across the country, et cetera. Um, and so other than, and is, is Grand Traverse, Grand Traverse is that, that Shangri-La from your story. In uh, Michigan. Are they still operating yeah. in Michigan? Um, they're still operating. Um, the uh, Dr. Ingersoll is retired. Kay Metley's retired. So it's changed a bit. Okay. okay. Um, but they're still a pretty innovative school. Um, and you're right. Uh, charter schools are schools of choice, but it's a that's a kind of recent development. Mm. Originally, as the charter schools law charter school law was passed, charter schools were supposed to be the research and development branch of traditional education. Um, and since a lot of charter schools were chartered by educators, they became schools that were better, more intensive, more focused, but not really anything innovative. And so that's when the, the phraseologies changed to schools of choice. I just read a recent thing from the California Charter School Association. They're calling for schools of innovation again. Hmm. So they're, they're trying to return to their roots and really become that R&D part of traditional education. Well, that's exciting because it has felt like the forces have been pushing charter schools towards the opposite, um, conform, conforming, right? <laughs> right, back to the norm, which is, is counterintuitive and counterproductive to the work that really needs to be done which is that R&D piece, that innovation piece. So I'm excited to hear that. So clearly um, we're, we're hitting the mark and staying true to that call for innovation within education. Can, can we start to zoom in a little bit to talk more specifically about GVS and, and, and this program, this developmental program that you've developed? Can you unpack the bones a little bit sure. for us? And um, GVS... Uh, is Great Valley Smart. Um, it's a program that that we developed to um, augment 
what's being done in the classroom. Because if a teacher can teach in pictures, because we as humans remember pictures better than anything else, um, so that's why starting in kindergarten, remembering the presidents of the United States, um, but we remember them in picture frames, not trying to remember the list of the presidents of the United States. So in the first picture frame, you've got a, uh, an elderly lady washing a ton of clothes, Washington, next to a person with a big Adam's apple, Adams. And so you don't have to remember the list of presidents. You remember the picture and the name that it was associated with the picture. So things like that in the classroom. Um, and we've, we've even gone beyond that in um, K2 because we've now got a special program to try and program, you know, how kids learn to read. Um, we're adding a math component to that at some point. But um, the, the Great Valley Smart program uh, is a program to deal with that 20% of the kids that just struggle with learning in school. And so if, if a teacher picks up on a child that's just not progressing at, a, at a, what she would or he considered a normal rate, um, all of a sudden they get referred to um, the GVS team, and we do an evaluation to see, okay, how does this kid really understand what he sees? And we do a little bit of auditory uh, how do they understand what they hear? And are those at age grade level uh, so that they can function? Um, if they're not, we put them into a, an intervention program that's a pullout program that actually trains them in the skills that they need to be more efficient learners, just like the program that I went through when I was in, in college. And hopefully by, by intervening early and uh, getting those problems resolved, um, we can stave off a, a learning problem. Um, and it seems to be working really well. And especially as we've uh, gone through the years and improved and improved and improved the program, um, and now we're seeing kids four days a week, uh, which has been a dramatic change in just hitting these kids four days a week uh, for six weeks and a lot of the um, kids that are probably third grade and older really go through some dramatic changes and we get back to the teacher how's he doing in class and if the kid's doing great in class we graduate them out of the program we always hold the option that if if things slip again we can pull them back in but um, a lot of them, once they learn an easier way to read, an easier way to do math, an easier way to learn anything, usually brains work on, hey, let's do this the easier way rather than the hard way. And, uh, and it becomes a habit that they continue to carry with them throughout their educational career. Excellent. So I imagine if we have anybody who's listening who has not had the opportunity to learn some fundamentals around GVS and, and the work that you do are probably still a little fuzzy on what we're describing. Can you um, get into some specifics around what you work on from a GVS standpoint and why? Okay. 
Well, and being an optometrist, vision is my forte. So I'm going to talk about visual skills. Great. Um, and they're very common um, to have visual skill limitations. And as adults, um, you can have people that just avoid reading. Um, they have to reread because they can't understand, you know, the first pass on reading, uh, what they're reading. Um, they start to read and they fall asleep or get drowsy. Um, and they end up just staring at the page and not, and then, of course, you kind of, kind of come to and you go, what was I reading anyhow? And, you know, I, I can talk to any audience and usually you get a fair percentage of people that have those kinds of symptoms. Uh, and those are all visual inefficiencies. You're putting so much effort into keeping the print together, keeping it clear, not having it float not having it turn colors, um, that you really don't have much energy to think about, you know, what you're reading. Um, tracking problems, misreading words, reversing words, skipping words, skipping lines, uh, those kinds of things are very frequent with when your eyes don't learn how to, how to track. I was talking to a, a mom uh, yesterday who uh, from this campus, who um, had a child. They had him in piano lessons, but he also had some tracking problems in reading, and, and all of a sudden, it clicked. He plays music by ear. Mm. He doesn't like to read music, and it's because he can't follow along note to note, just like he can't follow along word to word um, in his reading. Once we teach him that skill... All of a sudden, not only is he going to be a better reader, but he's going to be a better piano player and able to read music. So, and it's it's a very trainable thing. Years ago, I worked with the the Modesto uh, Nuts, um, and we were teaching baseball players to see the stitching on a baseball at 95 miles an hour. We all have that potential, but most of us never need to to develop it to that level. But the eye is capable of so much more uh, as far as speed of processing information and the amount of information it can gather in one chunk. So that's what um, GVS is. And, and I'm sure a lot of the people maybe listening to this podcast kind of relate to some of those symptoms mm -hmm. that they may still have that are carried on. And so those are undiagnosed visual skill problems that are just, you know, how they learn to use their eyes. Um, and which is uh, another thing, especially for reading. Reading from an evolutionary standpoint is a fairly new thing. There are areas in our brain that deal with listening. There are areas in our brain that deal with speech. There is no area in the brain dedicated to reading. So we have to retrain our brains to be able to learn to read efficiently. And a lot of times, if you're just given some phonics and some sight words, and the teacher says, go at it, kids program their brains however they wish. Hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And so now, especially with this K2 program, we're trying to get 
all kids to program reading in their brain in the most efficient way like good readers use. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and we hope you gained greater understanding of Great Valley Academy's innovative approach to learning. In our next episode, we'll wrestle with the role of learning modalities in education and build a case for visual learning as a modality most worthy of pursuit. Thank you.